This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Rath. How's it going, Johnny? Hey, Dan. Lockdown number six, and it didn't disappoint. We got some pretty good upsets over the weekend and some very strange conditions in one of the games. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it was a very interesting round, obviously. A lot of uh, underdogs getting up and, yeah, just through a lot of what we thought we knew out the window and uh yeah it'll be interesting to try and make sense of some of it it's definitely proof that uh yeah the season's not going to be over until it's actually over so (laughs) even with two games to go and of course the odd event you're referencing was uh the lightning storm that seemed to stop the west coast melbourne game monday night which uh interrupted our regular recording session yes yes (laughs) certainly was um yeah, we might get a bit into that a bit later, but uh, yeah, not something you see every day. Absolutely. So what caught your eye from the round, Johnny? Yeah, well, I have to go all the way back to Friday night for this. Seems like an eternity ago, but um, look, Sam Taylor, GWS, I was really impressed with his game. Um, sick, he played on Tomahawk. I don't know if he played on Tomahawk all game, but he definitely spent a lot of time on him in that second half, but he had 16 intercept possessions. Got cleaned up by Selwood on that wing at one point and um, got straight back up. So, yeah, I really liked his game. I thought he kind of um, followed on that blueprint that Jacob Wiedering set a few weeks ago on how to mm, how to play yeah. Tomahawk. Um, yeah, sort of the sort of zoning off a bit and then you just sort of come in at the last second kind of thing. Um, yeah, I guess with Tomahawk, the key thing is to not get in the wrestle, right? Like, exactly. That's where he's the strongest. No point getting into a, uh, a strength contest here. So if you are one of those defenders who's really good at reading the ball in the air, then yeah, maybe playing a few metres off him isn't the worst thing. No, no. So Sam Taylor proved, yeah, he was pivotal. Be interesting to see whether he gets the three Brownlow votes because if a defender's ever going to get the three Brownlow votes, it's probably in a game like that, but he probably still won't get it. Well, that's true. That's true. But uh, it was a fantastic game and uh, a great story. He really had his struggles last year. Um, I can't even remember what that illness was that he had, but it really kept him out of training for quite a while, even just running, I think. So... Yeah, he seems like a really good uh, bubbly personality. And yeah, it's it's always good to see those guys have some success. Still, He's still pretty young, isn't he? And I think it was 10 intercept marks. So that really jumped off the page in that game. Yeah. He's, big reason why they won. Yeah, I think he's about 22. So yeah, got a big career ahead of him. Yeah, I remember it was even pretty good when they were making that run in 2019. He played pretty well through that final series, particularly in that final against Collingwood, the prelim. So, yeah, he's yeah. been doing it a little while, but I guess, yeah, he missed pretty much the whole of 2020. Yeah, not not handy, but, um, yep, it's all about the future now, I guess. Absolutely. All right, seeing as we're only a couple of rounds out from the end of the season, or at least the end of the regular season, let's have a look at the top eight. It's starting to take shape. Uh, so all the action is at the top at the moment, I suppose, or the whole thing's clipped around a little bit so we'll go from the top the d's are back on top i guess we both had our doubts that this was going to happen and it's probably not going to stay this way or it may if they win their last two but yeah that draw against Torthorn has them two points ahead of both geelong and the western bulldogs so managed to get over the line last night against west coast in a pretty 
challenging game in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but definitely wasn't straightforward. But uh, yeah, they've locked away the uh, double chance, as have all of the teams in the top four now with a couple of other results. So surprisingly, both Western Bulldogs and Geelong lost over the weekend, so they stay on 15 wins, 60 points. And uh, yeah, I guess for both of those clubs, there's a few more questions around them now. I know it's only one week, but maybe a cup, a bit of the gloss has come off those teams. They were the glamour teams for, I guess, the second half of the season. And uh, yeah, the last couple of weeks hasn't been all rosy, especially with the Bulldogs in terms of some of the injuries they've copped to their key position players most recently. Uh, Bruce going down with an ACL injury, which is going to make things really difficult in the forward half. Yeah, it was a massive weekend for those for those clubs, and just a, a reminder how quickly your fortunes can change uh, in this game. But uh, yeah, really sad to see the Josh Bruce uh, injury. Uh, I, yeah, like did he? Was it just? Did someone land on him, or he just landed? I'm not even sure. It seemed pretty innocuous, and I think it was quite late into the game as well. So yeah, you hate to, you hate to see it any time, and. Doing it this time of year, he's going to miss all next year as well. So it's just a complete write-off, really. Really sad. I mean, he's he's in the form of his career, and yeah, he was going to be a crucial part. It's going to be very interesting to see how that forward line goes forward. Yeah, Coming well, on. they had that game against Sydney where Norton wasn't there, and that didn't work out too well. So yeah, they've definitely got it all ahead of them to uh, tinker and uh, see if they can recapture some of their best form. Is it where the coaches so earn still- their money? <laughs> <laughs> they're still sitting second at the moment. Behind them is now Geelong, who have lost their top two status on percentage. So they had a really flat performance against an undermanned GWS side, which we'll go into in more detail a bit later on. But Geelong slide as well. And Port managed to hold on to their position in the four with a narrow win in the showdown. So because of uh, the other results, all of those top four teams are now locked. So... They can't fall out of the top four, which is interesting with two rounds to go. So it's all about positioning now, I guess. It really is. Um, And it it could finish any number of ways. So there is still a bit to play for in these last two games for those top four teams. Um, And we've got Geelong and Melbourne playing each other and also Port and Bulldogs playing each other. So there's a lot that could change with that because they're basically both eight-point games, right? So you're winning four points and taking four points off the other team. That's it. And you might get the situation where some of those games, well, it would actually, to, for it to happen, they would both be repeated <laughs> in the actual first week of the final. So either they would or they wouldn't, depending on, you know, the positioning. And the way that the those teams approach those games is going to be interesting yeah. too, tactically and... Uh, strategically, you know, were they going to want to show too much of their hands? So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I got a feeling that it might be a little flat, especially if it, maybe not for the Bulldogs Port game, but maybe for the, if Geelong and Melbourne both win uh, in the coming round, it, that round 23 game might be a little bit flat because they'll probably just be playing for second or third and it won't really matter. Yeah, a few rested players, I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure the AFL have already said that there's not going to be any finals in Geelong, so it'll all just be at the MCG. Yeah, well, we hope. 
<laughs> Hopefully they don't go back on that. Yes. Well, they're even talking about like you know whether these finals are going to be played interstate because yeah. they don't know whether they're going to get be able to get any crowds. I really don't think they're going to do that though with like the integrity of the finals and all this sort of stuff. But you never know. Uh, yeah, there's a bit to play out. Um, I think it comes down to really it just comes down to money. I mean, I've heard it shouldn't though. Really, like it shouldn't. It surely. shouldn't. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm not sure how um substantiated this is but i did read somewhere that it's going to cost the afl up to about 20 million dollars if they were to play all finals behind closed doors in melbourne so well they can take the grand final wa they'll get plenty of money for that i think that's enough yeah look and maybe it is some kind of compromise but like i said plenty of twists and turns for sure it's all up in the air and like you know we don't know what's going to happen in melbourne either like at the moment it's sort of semi under control, but I think it looks like we're going to be in lockdown for at least another week, probably more. So who knows? Day to day proposition. Maybe <laughs> even hour by hour. <laughs> yeah, this Delta variant is just crazy hard to control. So I think we're just going to be in and out of lockdown until we get enough of the population vaccinated. But oh, yeah. that's enough of my COVID commentary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the top four. Uh, but there was plenty happening outside the top four. So. Brisbane have slotted into fifth currently with a big win over Frio in the West. So they really put them to the sword there. And they're actually now 13% up on Sydney on percentage. So Sydney ran into a Manic St Kilda on the weekend at Marvel and, uh, yeah, couldn't get the job done there. They have looked a little flat in the last couple of weeks, leaking some scores. And, yeah, I guess that was the big one, wasn't it, Johnny? When... Sydney lost to Saint the Saints, then uh, it basically meant that Melbourne only had to win one more game, and well, really all of the, uh, Melbourne and Port just had to win one more game after that happened to lock away top four. Yep, yep, it was the uh, it was the present, the Christmas present come early, um, but it was also very. I thought it was really strange to see um, the Swans just had no answer for the Saints' relentless pressure, though. Uh, they pride themselves on that sort of uncontested running outside game, and the Saints didn't let any of that happen. No, none of those um, exits and that were, were open. And yeah, it was very impressive from the Saints. It just shows you how hard it is to keep a winning run going in this competition. Oh yeah, like yeah. St Kilda has had some decent form in the second half of the season, but yeah, no matter who you're playing, it's really hard to just keep that winning run going. And I think they'd won like four or five in a row, so. They were probably due for a loss, right? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's hard to sustain it, especially at this point of the season. There are going to be those times when you just drop your guard a little bit and, yeah, uh, you don't see that haymaker coming. And one of the reasons it was even more difficult for Melbourne on Monday night against West Coast was it was coming to light that West Coast really needed to win two of their last three to lock away their final spot. So they were coming out really uh, as motivated as they've been probably all season for that game. And uh, yeah, didn't get the job done there. So now they're in big danger. Although they now still sit in seventh with 40 points, 10 wins, they're in big danger of dropping out of the eight. They probably need to win their last two with their percentage was hovering around about 95. And uh, they've got Frio in the derby and then Brisbane away. So... They'll definitely have earned it if they make it. Absolutely, but they they're in trouble. They're in trouble at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's no better time to rise to the occasion than the uh, Derby next week. 
yeah, so I guess some of these teams sitting around that lower region of the eights and just outside would be licking their lips now that Melbourne did the job on the Eagles and it's really opened up two spots in the eight now. So it's really West Coast, GWS, Essendon and Richmond all have sort of claims to those last two spots. I suppose you'd probably still favour GWS at this point with a decent draw and sitting in eighth. And yeah, I guess any of the other three could fit that last spot. Who who are you seeing making it from here, Johnny? Uh, well, I think Essendon's win definitely put them back in the driver's seat. And they've got, I think they finish up with Collingwood. And they've got the Suns next week. So they've got two very winnable games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They went right back in, into contention with that win. Um, I just, I still find it hard to sleep on GWS. I, I think, I think they'll maybe just have enough to get there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think if I had to choose to, it would probably be, well, I'd say West Coast and GWS at this stage still. Well, it's a big call. I know Brisbane's beaten up on West Coast at the Gabba quite a bit over the years, so yeah, it'd be a huge turn up if they got if they got that one. I mean, it look anything can happen with these. <laughs> anything, can, it's it's yeah. really crazy. I mean, this time last week I'll, we thought Frio might have had a chance, and they look. I don't know if they beat, if they beat the Eagles. <laughs> if, they are, then, you know. if the rest fall over, <laughs> um, yeah. But I think yeah, right. I would say GWS have the best chance, but. Essendon's not, not a bad one either, actually. Yeah, I'm going to go GWS and Essendon, so see how we go with that. You're taking West Coast and GWS, right? I'm, think, I'm <laughs> thinking about it. I, I'll stick with that. I'll stick with that for now. All right. Well, you you had a good call on GWS. You've been pretty high on them for a while now, so you That's got that true. right. That's true. No, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the top eight watch. Plenty of movement there. Probably won't be as much movement in the next week, probably, especially with the top four more or less locked away. But, yeah, I guess all of the action is now for those last two spots on the eight. And then just it's just what position from there. All the top four spots could still change in terms of the actual position. And fifth and sixth can still switch around. So still plenty of possibilities. All right, questions that matter. Plenty of rich pickings out of another great weekend of action. So the first one we've got here is, uh, as of the completion of round 20, how many sides How many sides are a realistic chance to win the premiership? Hmm. hmm. Uh, look, first up, I kind of did, I looked at the top four and I thought that's probably it. Um, I know we, we sort of, we, we do question Port a little bit, but I just have, I've just got this sneaky feeling that when they've got that full side back on and they've played a few games together, they could be capable of anything. Um, looking at, I just feel a bit, um, rude not to consider a team from outside the top four, even though it is very difficult, but I think that there will be a run from outside the, the top four and possibly a grand final appearance. So I'm um, and I'm looking at Sydney. I think that they can okay, they can perform. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they made a prelim at very least. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you're definitely saying all the top four are contenders and probably adding Sydney to that? Yeah. Yep, I think that's fair. 
Yeah. I guess my thinking on this has maybe changed a little bit. I thought the top three had kind of separated themselves, but after the weekend's action, I'm not so, so sure that's true anymore. Like, they probably still have the highest ceilings, but, you know, they're not necessarily going to hit that in every game. And I don't think there is that bigger gap between the top three and the rest, probably. And one side of the coin says it's really hard to win four knockout finals if, you know, there's not much of a gap. But also you're much more likely to win those four knockout finals if there's not a really dominant team. So it probably does open it up just a bit more. Especially with the uncertainty of where games might be played. You never know. It could just level the playing field again. But um, yeah, uh, would you agree the Premier is coming from the top six? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the top six have separated themselves pretty much the whole year. So I would be very surprised if, um, you know, a GWS or an Essendon got to the grand final. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if one of them bobbed up for a prelim, but I don't think they're going all the way. No. But yeah, should we, I think we're in for a really interesting final series. Yep. It's really quite evenly matched, at least on paper. Definitely. All right, let's jump into a few of these games that we referenced as we were going through the ladder there. Some really interesting stuff, as I was saying. So how did the undermanned Giants beat the Cats at Cadinia Park? This was being described as the upset of the year. Just a couple of uh, things to go with this before I throw to you, Johnny. 25 scoring shots to 19, the Cats way. GWS, 13 goals, 6, if you don't mind. And Toby Green, 4 goals. Probably the match winner again. So, what happened here? Like, yeah. What was the betting? Like, I think Geelong were about a dollar ten to win this game. <laughs> yeah. A very, very hard one to, to summarise, really. I mean... I mean, the Cats have been one of the most informed teams in the league. Uh, but I don't know. that It was just... Uh, GWS seemed to take a lot of good, ri- like, calculated risks and, and a lot of them just seemed to pay off. It was it was really, yeah, like a who cares kind of performance. Who cares if we're down at Geelong? Let's just take the game on. Uh, you know... Who cares if Geelong's got a good defence? We'll, we'll we'll take. Well, they almost attacked their strength in some ways. It was it was really crazy. And and to have those those star performers like Green bob up and kick a few, it definitely gave them a chance. Uh, I didn't see what was going to come next, but they, yeah, they really took it to them. And yeah, I think that is the upset of the year. They pretty much had their starting midfield out, and Kelly was a late withdrawal as well, but. I guess they do have quite good depth of talent and it's just showing how uh, much they do have in reserve. But I think one interesting thing they did, which maybe some teams might try and copy, is they were really unwilling to go long and high to the Cats' defence. So they were going basically as fast as they could and often they didn't even care if it was going along the ground. So I think that's something that people are starting to pick up on in the second half of the season the Cats' defence is definitely more vulnerable if you can get the ball to ground either just by kicking it in so it's not actually in the air or just making sure you bring it to ground. That's where they're a little uh, shaky, I suppose. One thing I also noticed that um, definitely put the their defense, Cats' defence under pressure was uh, they pretty much 
went through the corridor at all costs. They weren't looking to really switch to the other side that much. It was as soon as we get it off, you know, half back wing, let's just get it through the corridor. Um, just get it in quick. Almost the yep, old fashioned going side. really quick. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, it's almost a template to play Geelong. Like they didn't have the most talent out there, but they had a really good plan. Geelong just in general were pretty flat. It took them a fair while to get going. And yeah, they lost Danger Dangerfield yep. during the game, went to hospital after that hit to the throat from Green, which he may or may not get suspended for. I think they're having the tr- the hearing right now. They might have actually yes. got the result on that. I'm not sure. But uh, just by the way, do you reckon he should get off on that? Yeah, I was, I was about to ask you the same thing. I mean, it's a bit contentious at the moment amongst a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, all the precedents this year... Uh, they're not, they're not helping. <laughs> they're upside down compared to each other one. Uh, you know, you got Buddy a few weeks ago getting off for for his, and yeah, I, I don't know. In the heat of the moment, I thought, yeah, you probably will get a week for it, but there's just a lot of conjecture out there that's really confusing things at the moment, and I don't know what to believe anymore with it, really. I think he got a bit unlucky. Like, Jane Defield kind of half slipped at the last moment, and... If he didn't slip, I don't think the contact would have actually been to the throat. And you can kind of sort of see as he's making contact, he's like taking half a step kind of away from mm, Dangerfield. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm guessing he probably will get suspended, but it'll be a little bit unlucky, I think. The thing that's really frustrating me at the moment is that narrative they're building around how hurt the player gets. I really, yeah, yeah, always a bit it's of that. just clouding everything at the moment when an incident like this happens. I mean, the Sam Taylor one for instance with Selwood uh, he got straight back up there's no need, no case to answer for there I just I don't think it's um, I don't think it's setting a good example I mean I know that it, it plays a part in these decisions but yeah I just not a huge fan of it so any worries for Geelong or is this just one of these things that happens yeah uh, to- I think this is a forget game for Geelong I don't think we'll see them like that for the rest of the season uh yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely a few things that they'd have to look at. I mean, they need to find a way to get guys like Tomahawk into the game when he is up against a good opponent because they have been susceptible to relying on him a bit and they were relying on him a bit last year. Uh, he was in great form, I think, late in the season and people were saying, oh, this, he's unplayable. You just can't you can't stop him when he's like this. Well, you know, everyone has their day when they're not unstoppable. And, yeah, look, it's going to help when Cameron's back, obviously. But uh, I think that's that's one of the keys is they've just got to make sure that they can get their star players into the game. Yeah, I guess the last few weeks haven't been overly flattering for Geelong, but you'd think they would spike again. Yeah. But maybe they're not as good as people thought they were. Maybe they are. I don't know. But, yeah, I wouldn't be too worried as an opponent playing Geelong in the finals, particularly how they performed at the MCG, if there are going to be games there yeah. in the finals over the last five or so years. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. I can see here that Green has been suspended for one game. Mm, so right. that'll be uh, a big out against Richmond, which huge. is basically an elimination final. Yeah, huge out. All right, next game. 
So the Suns are actually one win away now from the eight wins that we've referenced a couple of times throughout the year by beating, beating Carlson at Marvel by 19 points. So the question I have is, is this a pass or fail for their 2021 campaign? So been a lot of ups and downs, obviously. Yeah, this is a tough one uh, because eight wins where their list is at isn't terrible. And I think we definitely mentioned that... Uh, I think we said eight wins would be would be around a better pass mark. I think maybe a month ago. Yeah, so they're one win off. Yeah, but I hate to play devil's advocate here. I don't know if they are quite at that at that level yet to to call it a pass. I think maybe if they'd taken another big scalp over a top eight team, then you could say that. But off the top of my head right now, I can really only think of I can only think of that Richmond game. I might be missing something, but. They beat the Giants. They did beat the Giants, yes. Um, I just would have liked to have seen maybe one or two more, maybe over, you know, a Sydney maybe or a, you know, I guess a team like They Melbourne. beat Sydney as well. Did they, <laughs> hey, they did beat Sydney, that's right, yeah. When, they did, when was that again? Sorry that, to call you that, on that. Was, about, was it about a month ago? No, it was quite a while ago. I think maybe like six or eight weeks ago now. It was a really flat performance from Sydney. Yeah, okay, well, it, look, it is a tough one. I... Honestly, I'm going to stick with it though. I think it's it's some of the manner of the manner of some of these losses they've had this year. It's yeah, it's inexcusable. It it's inexcusable, and it it's, it just shows a, a side that's giving up a lot, which is a big mental issue that they've got to rectify. I think so. I'm going to stick with it's not a pass. Maybe if they win their last two, it will be a pass. But I think they just fall short. Yeah, I guess it's the whole thing with teams that are a bit lower on the ladder isn't it like the gap between the best and the worst is still really big and uh it is heartening to see that they can bring the pressure but when they don't they get pretty badly exposed still yep so we had the showdown over the weekend port adelaide versus adelaide uh played in front of some spectators which was good so yeah very low scoring i think it was like 55 to 52 one maybe something along those lines um and you know the write-up from the game on the afl website goes oh it's a classic i think they describe any game that's close as a classic but (laughs) (laughs) was this a classic or is it just an average game so port kicks the first three goals of the last quarter to win by four points after trailing for much of the night both teams only kicked seven goals port had only kicked one goal to half time this is a top four team I don't know. Can you really be considered as a contender when you can only kick one goal in a half against a team at the bottom of the ladder? <laughs> it's just, it's a weird one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Crows really brought some amazing pressure, to be honest. But, um, yeah, that's, look, that's, that's probably a fair, a fair point, actually. I don't think this was anywhere near the best showdown there's ever been. Uh, it was a good fight back uh, from the Crows and it finished up close, I guess. But yeah, I, I, they, they were brave. They were brave, the Crows. It was more about the Crows, if anything. It was more about the Crows uh, just having a crack and getting in there. But I don't think we learned that much about Port, really. So do you think Adelaide should have actually won this game or Port just had enough to get over it when they really needed it? I think Port had enough to get over it. Yeah, I think they... They showed their class when they when they needed it most, and in the in the impactful moments of the game. 
yeah, I, it was a bit of a nothing game, really. <laughs> it was a bit of a nothing game. The fight back makes it interesting, but yeah. yeah. Just one of these scrappy, low-scoring games. Yeah, it's just Port get their four points and move on. Yeah, well, that's all you got to do, right? Bank that's all you got to do. Points, but that's all you got to do. But you'd expect a bit more from them in a in a finals like situation. A yeah, yeah. So probably one of the most impressive performances over the weekend came from St Kilda. So, yeah, are we seeing the new version of Saints footy? The just manic pressure they were able to put on Sydney around stoppage and when they were trying to move the ball out of their back half, just shutting down their run almost completely and able to punish them on turnover often enough. It wasn't always that clean, but they did enough to win every quarter and ended up registering a 29-point win. So is this the blueprint going forward for St Kilda? Yeah. Um there might be a little bit more tinkering, I think, uh, only because they still seem to concede some silly goals at, at strange times in, defensively. And I just feel like, you know, Saints footy was pretty stubborn back line and didn't give up a lot. Although, yeah, Sydney didn't get a lot of looks at goal, but uh, it's just, yeah, I think in transition they do struggle a little bit sometimes. But when it came to pressure on the ball carrier, pressure on on yeah, unmanned opponents and things like that. Uh, it was manic. But they do find it hard to string this together week in, week out, I find. Um, and is it, it makes you wonder, is it sustainable? Like, do they need to maybe just tweak it a bit more? So I'm undecided on that at this point. I think that there might be a little bit more evolution there to come. Yeah, they're extremely hard to play against when they can bring this type of ferocity and it has been a bit stop-start in the second half of the year, whether it's been there or not. But, yeah, they've taken some big scalps in the second half of the year, and I guess they'll finish just outside the eight, currently on nine wins, I think, with a relatively poor percentage. I think it's actually under 90. So I guess that's a remnant of them getting absolutely smashed in some games earlier in the season. But, yeah, I think as a St Kilda supporter, there's a lot to like, but I suppose they really need to sort of buy into this style if that's what's going to take them forward. Like, mm. it's not the flash that's getting the job done. No. So can you actually sustain, you know, this type of pressure more often than not over the course of a season? And I guess that's a challenge for every team, but particularly for St Kilda, when they don't bring enough pressure, they're getting pretty badly exposed. I guess in some ways we've talked about Melbourne in a similar way this year, but more often than not, they've been able to bring some level of pressure that has stood them in good stead. I'd love to just see one more good ball user in the midfield, I reckon. That that could be what they're missing. Any names in mind? Ooh. I, I was thinking maybe an Adam Chera, but it seems more likely that he's probably going to stay at Freo. <laughs> but, yeah. Just that sort of mould. Yeah, just, yeah. Um, like they've definitely got some good runners, but... Maybe just lack a little bit of polish. They kind of are the Marvel specialists. I think that was one of their hallmarks last year. Yep, definitely. So most of their really good wins came at Marvel. So, yeah, I think they're always going to be a challenge there, especially if they can bring the heat. Yep. Next one. Are the Hawks better than people thought? So I think post-buy, they've actually 
had a pretty good uh, run. They've beaten both Sydney teams, Sydney and GWS. They drew with Melbourne. They've been beating most of the teams they've been playing in the lower reaches of the eight. Uh, good winning over Collingwood, really controlled that game and won by 19 points. And I think they've even got like, I think it's either three or four wins against top eight sides. So they definitely haven't been pushovers this year. Did we judge Hawthorne maybe a little bit too harshly? Um, Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, it, it seems like the, the, the token thing to say is that their list management was stuffed up a few years ago, brought in too many recycled players. What a joke it's turned out to be. But really, I mean, some of these guys are, you know, playing some decent football. I mean, you know, Amira had 27 disposals and a goal, and it was quite efficient. Uh, yeah, had uh, I don't mind Jack Scrimshaw. I think he, he could definitely turn into a good sort of outside-type runner. Yeah, Tom Phillips as well, I think. Uh, Maybe hasn't quite lived up to it this year, but I think he'll he'll be good for years to come. But you've also, I think, this might be a big call, but I think the list is better placed for a list manager than Collingwood's at the moment. You've got some of this good youth coming through, but I think they've got more to play with at the trade table if they want to get more young talent in. They could um, look at someone like Jack Gunston and, you know, he's going to have currency and maybe get him out for a few picks. Um, there's talk about Tom Mitchell. It still seems a bit funny to trade a Brentlow medalist, but there is talk that he could be on the market and he would definitely command some good value. So I just feel like they've got, um, if you're going to play list manager, I think it would be a more fun job, this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas Collingwood, we're definitely seeing some good, some of the youngsters come through who are looking impressive, but I can't see much trade bait there at the moment in terms of someone that would um, have any market value. What do you reckon there? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a fair bit for Sam Mitchell to work with. Their back line is looking pretty good, actually, even though there's still quite a few guys out. There's a lot of good young players uh, coming through there. There's a few to uh, come back as well. Yeah, so I don't know all the names. Granger Barras, uh, one of them's quick. <laughs> Bramble, yeah, I think yeah. his name is. Yeah, I think it was Giant. Bramble, yeah. So, and Sicily will be back next year. Yeah, and, Sicily back. You know, Gunston, Bruce, these guys would either are either going to, you know, still be good contributors or maybe trade bait, but you're definitely going to get something back for them. Just yep. imagine Bruce in one of the contenders, how much oh, yeah. better he'd make the forward line. So, Absolutely. yeah, I don't, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for Hawthorne by any measure, but I think most of the Hawthorne supporters are still just licking their wounds with this whole Clarkson situation, yeah. so probably going to take them a while to get over that. I thought um, Daniel Howe as well played a decent game against Collingwood, uh, sort of a mid-to-tall-sized player, midfielder, I guess. Um, uses it well, kicks really well. Yeah, it could be something. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how different it is next year with Mitchell, whether he tries to change it that much. He's not Clarkson, obviously, so things are going to tweak a little bit. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see their progress next year. In that situation, it do you think more often than not a new coach in that exact situation, that taking over a legend, do you feel that they more often than not let the ship sail on or they like to put their own stamp on things? I'm not sure. Maybe they're not as inclined to put their complete own stamp on things just because 
what's come before has been so successful. Mm. But I think as a coach, you kind of have to put your own stamp on things. Like, Otherwise, yeah. you know, what's the point? But it will be interesting to see what happens, yeah. particularly next year. Definitely. Another trend I've been noticing lately, which is a bit of a tipster's nightmare, is is it possible that a team's actually more likely to win after coming off a loss than a win? <laughs> it seems to be just up and down. I guess the classic <laughs> examples of this in the second half of the season have been Melbourne and uh, even more so Carlton, but it just sort of seems this narrative of teams are increasingly able to get up after a loss and maybe just a touch of complacency after a win. Any ideas for this one, Johnny? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. I used to think, and I still to an extent do think, that there's not really a direct correlation between the result you had last week and the one you're playing this week. Uh, I kind of always thought like one door closes, another opens. It's it. I never used to tip like uh, my dad used to do it all the time. He used to always say, "Oh, um, yeah, Richmond lost last week, so they're going to be desperate this week." I never really used to think like that, but I think there is something to it. Um, but I think more often than not, it's the manner of the win or the loss the week before. I think if you've had a bad loss, if you've lost by 10-plus goals the week before, I think that definitely plays a part. And you'll see a much rejuvenated response the next week. As well as a, a big win the week before can sometimes uh, get a team complacent as well. So, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, I don't really have a definitive answer for that, but I think it it definitely plays a little bit of a part. Definitely plays a little bit of a part. I don't know if there's one that's more likely than not if you're coming off a loss or a win. Um, Yeah. I think especially if you're a better team, then I think, you know, coming off a loss, you probably are less likely to lose the next game. But, yeah, maybe it is just because, you know, the competition's so even mm. now that when you are just that, five percent off mentally if you're taking things a little bit easy after a win it can be enough to actually unsettle the team a little bit maybe i think it is mostly to do with that i think we've got such a level of competition and yeah <laughs> it's a little bit of random all right so we got through everything else let's have a little bit of a chat about the d's game so yeah. obviously had to go over to wa and quarantine after their last game and uh, it wasn't great conditions. I don't think they had like the resort-style uh, lodgings that most other teams have had no. for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, really interesting game. A bit of weather around, huge momentum swings. Melbourne really controlled the first and the third, but West Coast really, uh, you know, played a different style of game, really quite competitive, uh, went away from their kick-mark style, just made sure to make everything really difficult for Melbourne and got the game on their terms in the second. And after the lightning interruption, came home with a big rush to mean that they really ate away at Melbourne's big lead and ended up going down by nine points. But yeah, it was quite a... There was so much going on. <laughs> what, what caught your eye in this one? <laughs> oh, yeah, this was a very strange game right from the outset. on Monday night, uh, yeah... Make sure you're on the couch and in bed at a reasonable hour, I guess. <laughs> Not that that happened. But, um, yeah, I went into this game a little bit nervy and I kind of, honestly, 
each week, especially at the moment, you, you want to see a certain type of performance from Melbourne. But this week, I honestly didn't care how we were going to get it done. I just wanted to get it done. I just wanted yeah, to walk too. out with the four points <laughs> and that was it. And I felt like that through most of the game, even when we were up by about five goals. I just thought, I don't care. I just want to get this done, get out of there. Um, yeah, I thought we started strongly in the first quarter. I thought Gorn was all over Nick Nett in the first quarter. Um, he was just way smarter with his taps and and things like that. Nick Nett definitely got back on level terms, I thought, in that second quarter, and they weren't bad. Uh, they were better. Uh, the Cozzy goal in halftime was definitely a, a spark, a fire starter, as Dwayne Russell would say, uh, for Melbourne. Um but yeah, honestly, even it, we, we definitely played our best footy in the third quarter, I think. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was great to see Jake Milksham kick a few goals. I think when he had that, when he was going to come around, around the body, uh, you just kind of, you always knew he was a chance because he's just such a good, good shot at goal. Um, Benny Brown really chipped in. Luke Jackson was fantastic. Maybe his best game of the year. Um, Neil Bullen. It was his 100th game, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I thought I actually had him as probably the second best on the ground. Um, but even at that point, I just thought, look, just play at the time and get out of there. And then when this happened, it was, oh, look, yeah. Uh, no one's fault, obviously. Nothing you can do about it. But it was a very, very harsh set of circumstances for the Melbourne Footy Club, I thought. And um, everything that preceded it. Being stuck on the tarmac the week before in Brisbane, meant to play on the Saturday, come back to Melbourne, play midday, Docklands, finish that game, fly out to Perth, quarantine for seven days, play on the Monday night, uh, wet game, couple of late outs, Tom McDonald, uh, one late out, I think, and Jaden Hunt gets injured in the game, and then this happens. I just, I don't know, it just felt like, it felt like it could only happen to Melbourne. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just did. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just was really angry at the footy gods last night. I just thought, oh, we've done everything right. We've gotten out of Melbourne. We've quarantined. We've done this and that. And, you know, and, and, and me, I'm here watching it, you know, in my living room. And, um, yeah, that's something that I've probably only seen maybe once or twice. I can only think off the top of my head to the Waverley game in 1996 where the lights went out. And maybe one other game, I think, where it happened in Sydney, I think, in a final. I can't think of any other games that have been suspended before. And <laughs> Yeah, honestly, after that, the game was completely different to me. Being off the field for 30 minutes, I think it was. Yeah, 30 minutes. Uh, it was completely different, honestly. I, I just wanted to get those 15 minutes done, get off. Uh, missed a couple of shots. West Coast got there, a few goals. I, I don't know about you, Dan. I, I'm usually pretty critical of giving up a lead, but honestly, last night I did not give a crap about the fact that we gave up a lead. I, I just wanted, I honestly just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I felt like what happened after they came back on after the light interruption, it was almost meaningless. It was. It was very yeah. clear that Melbourne just were trying to hold on and they had a really good lead. And I think even the goals that West Coast kicked, like two of them were relatively lucky. Yep. And like that, the three to against May to get it started yeah. was a really weird one. Oh, yeah. I think like yeah. it was kind of partly like, so Darling coming back with the flight, 
I think what kind of happened was May kind of like half protected himself instead of just going at the ball. You know, that kind of that self-preservation. Like, I, don't, I still don't think it was a free kick, but I can see why the umpire paid it. I can sort of see why the umpire paid it, but it seems like the other way around to what frontal contact is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I think the umpire just got a bit confused there, but just it was symptomatic of the whole night. Like the free kicks that West Coast were getting was just were just crazy. Yeah. So you know you're always going to get a bit of that with an interstate game, but this seemed like another level. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did, and um. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying that West Coast didn't play well for that last 15 minutes, but I, I also think that I've mentioned all the things that happened preceding the game. You've got to think about the things that were upcoming as well. So Melbourne were getting yeah. a red-eye flight out pretty much maybe half an hour after the game finished. Uh, they've got a game in five days. Got a, yeah. As we said, Jaden Hunt got injured. How would any other team have approached that situation? Are they going to yeah. go out balls to the wall and risk an injury and try and finish the game. Melbourne had nothing to gain, no. really. They just had to survive it. Just had and to they survive did it. it. And did it. That, that was it. The game was basically in the bag and this weird intervention meant that it gave West Coast the way back in. But really, even though they got close, they were never really no. in a position to pinch it. And if you're a team like West Coast were behind with that intervention, it's all. It's always going to favour that team. You've got nothing to lose. You go out there, take risks, have fun. You know, kick a few goals. I, I honestly, on the flip side, and I don't mind West Coast, and I like I've liked watching them play in the last few years. But if there's any West Coast fans, players, coaches taking something out of that and calling it like an honourable loss, just pull the other one. Like really, it's that that was a ridiculous <laughs> set of circumstances. It was almost another game. It was a. It was uh, like a, I don't know, a tournament game or something like that. It was uh, yeah. a mini match. It was it was a little bit yeah. annoying because it did take just a little bit of the gloss off the whole, you know, ascension back to the top of the ladder. Like Melbourne had a lot to lose here. Yep. With the results falling the way they did, it was all set up for them to kind of fail here. But they, they got the job done. They go back to top. They control their own destiny. So, And without Tom yep. McDonald as well, I thought that was... Me too. Really good performance. They steeled themselves. They did what they had to do. They won the important moments, got the control, yeah. and got the win. Yep. I think that's all. And that's really. that's what counts. Exactly. All right. Last one before we get into match of the round. And uh, yeah, I don't know. This sort of just sprung to mind yesterday at some point. Maybe it was the day before. But is this actually collectively the weakest the AFL competition has been since 2005, 2006? And I'll preface this by saying, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but just the absence of a dominant team or a dynasty team. So if we go back, you had Richmond basically from 2020 down to 2017, 2016, arguable, maybe Sydney was kind of the dominant team. Then you go back through the Hawthorne and Geelong eras, and then basically all the way back to 2005, 2006, where, you know, these Sydney and West Coast teams were winning premierships that, you know, probably wouldn't win the Premiership most years. So, yeah, like, what's going on? Like, is the competition as weak as I'm making it out to be or am I uh, overstepping my bounds here a little bit? (laughs) No, I don't think you are. I think that that I actually had a thought about this recently. It did. it does have a very familiar feeling to those seasons uh, where there was always a team 
showing how good they were one week and maybe getting the top letter spot and then being put back in their box. Uh, it's very, very similar to that, I reckon. Um, and I'm looking at the way that that 2005 letter finished. You had Adelaide finish top. I can't even remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> West Coast second, Sydney third, St Kilda fourth. So, um, I mean, yeah, I guess that the grand finalists were second and, and third, but... Um, Sydney finished third with 15 wins. That's interesting. Um, no, I don't, I don't think it's unfair at all, actually. I think that this... Everyone's been brought down a little bit, back to earth. There was always a standard set that everyone was trying to rise to, and they haven't gotten worse. But, yeah, it feels like it's just been levelled out a bit, I think, uh, the competition. And, yeah, I would say this is probably just the most level competition we've had since... Yeah, maybe going back to those years. So the flip side of that is it's a massive opportunity. So like you could be, you know, not even maybe not even a great team and you might actually win the premiership this year. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, those, yeah, those sides. So would those sides have performed against the Hawthorne three-peat sides, the Richmond sides of recent times? I don't know. It's it's a hard one. It's a, it's going. From- I personally don't think they would have been overly competitive, particularly the West Coast side. I think they were, you know, it was midfield centric, mm. and even the Sydney side, like, yeah, not a lot of stars. They in weren't the Sydney gonna midfield. like they they did have stars, but you know, they'd start. It was a work. Yeah, definitely. It was a workmanlike team, and that's how they got the job done. So, yeah, it's just interesting to think that. Maybe we're going to enter a period now where there isn't going to be a dominant team for a while. Like who knows? But we've got we've lived through the last fifteen years or so with dominant teams. Yeah. So maybe there just isn't going to be a dominant team for a little while now, which would be kind of nice in a, in a way. Yeah, I don't know if there will be a dominant team purely because of the effect that COVID's going to have and the grassroots level, the um like the local competitions affected the the pathway competitions like TAC Cup. I think that maybe the quality itself will just come back to earth as well. So, yeah, that could be... A, could be the great leveler. It could be a leveler, <laughs> but just for a few years until it picks back up again. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Like, what do you think is healthier for the game? Like, having these really amazing dominant teams that are winning, you know, three out of five or three out of four, or is it healthier to actually be showing it around a bit more? Yeah, interesting question, right? I don't really know the answer to that i think it's definitely exciting having a competition that anyone can win absolutely but it's def it's also it is very interesting to see a team that's dominating uh and the interest that builds when that team gets knocked off uh i find that it does build a lot of interest when you see people are tuning in to see if they might you know be knocked off and uh, it happened a lot in those those Hawthorne times. Oh, I hate Hawthorne. Jesus, great to see them lose. I remember, <laughs> do, do you remember the year that they missed the finals for the first time in, I think it was 2017 or something. For, might have been the first time for 10 years or something. Uh, um, yep, yep. I remember on the front bar, Mick Malloy doing some big grandstanding segment about Hawthorne <laughs> not being in the finals that year. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, just the... the um. Yeah, all the the buzz that it generates uh, when 
you're chasing that team down and it finally happens. That's a big thing too, I reckon. And there's a big thing also, like, just to look at that dominant team and can they actually make the most of their good work, like, yeah. throughout the season, you know? Because even when you do have a dominant team, it's very rarely a smooth sail through the finals for these teams to win it. So there's the edge to it there of, you know, this team's really expected to win it, but can they actually do it? And how many times have we seen a team that has been dominant uh, get to that prelim and they've only just gotten over the line? I think it happened in Geelong's first one in 2007. I think Hawthorne may have had one or two in their three Yeah, there's been plenty of tight prelims over the years. So that's probably... There's been more tight prelims than tight grand finals. Although over the last 15 years, the grand finals have been very good as well. Yep. So can't complain there. Nope. All right. Let's finally get into match of the round. So got another good one to get through here. So the match is Essendon versus the Western Bulldogs. So Essendon had to win to stay in the hunt for the top eight. And this was coming after GWS's big upset win over the Cats. So really putting the pressure on Essendon. The Dogs, on the other hand, were sitting pretty on the top of the ladder. So this game was a Marvel Stadium game. And uh, yeah... Time to get into the agenda. So the Bulldogs opened their account with a long kick into Bruce, who managed to mark from the back position. He put the goal through, but the only problem from there was that the ball had to go back through the middle. And it was Essendon streaming out of the centre, thanks to Merritt, who exited out the front of the stoppage and absolutely laced out Francis, 15 metres out. And he nailed the set shot for his first goal of the year. Interesting to see Francis playing up forward. Yeah, I mean, he, he could be a good forward, really. He's he's got the he's got the height, and he's he's not a bad kick. I mean, I I, I can't actually remember what position he was drafted as. Was he a was he a, no? He's not. No, I'm thinking of Phillips as a ruckman. Yeah, but, I think he was drafted as a back. Yeah, yeah, I think he was a defender though. Yeah, key back. So the Bulldogs did have the better of the main, remainder of the opening quarter, and they managed to scrap a couple of goals by putting good pressure on inside fifty. And those goals came from Easton Wood and Bruce again, going from the square. So all of this added up to a 13-point quarter-time lead to the Dogs. So going into the second, it was actually Norton who marked in the pocket and put a beautiful set shot through with a drop punt, which you don't often see these days, to extend the lead out to 19 points. The Dons did have the answer again, though, with another centre square goal. This time... It was actually Parrish finding Francis. Yeah, they were on top early, weren't they, Merritt and Parrish? Yeah, absolutely. One interesting part of this play that I wanted to reference, Johnny, was I'm not sure whether you remember it, but Stringer actually had heaps of time to get rid of the ball. I think he got taken by one or maybe like one and a half tackles, and the ball did sort of just half jar out. But at that point, he'd already had the ball for like a good three seconds. And then, you know, the ball just spills out, goes Edison's way, they get the goal. But, like, is this too much of a reward for the ball player? Like, if you've had that long with the ball, should you be given the benefit of the doubt? I kind of feel like I would prefer this to be called holding the ball. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought they had it for ages, and that's when the whistle should go. I think that should have been holding the ball. Um Look, we know that sometimes the ball gets knocked out, but there was there was plenty of prior there, and yeah, I think that they got lucky there. I guess it would be a little hard to adjudicate, but 
like if the player has had it for you know whatever the time they want to put on it is three seconds even if it gets knocked out at that point yeah i would i would just say blanket rule it's holding the ball you've had it long enough i agree if, if you've had the opportunity you've had it long enough holding the ball even if it gets knocked out i agree just bad luck yeah <laughs> as in like if yeah. you yeah you've had a, you had the opportunity you get swung around sort of a 360 yeah i mean even if you can't like get it would have been yeah. it would have been holding the ball if he'd held on to it but just because it gets knocked out in the tackle then you say it's not holding the ball it, it just doesn't quite seem logical to me no like he didn't dispose of it so why should he get the benefit of that exactly and the only time i think when a knocking of the ball out should maybe be benefited that is if they've literally just gotten it no prior at all so yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily mind the whole knocking it no, out no, thing, no. but usually it's the ball. The player will have had the ball for maybe not even a second or like a second or two. Like it's just happening straight away. But if the guy has held on to it and then it gets knocked out, it just seems kind of strange that it's sort of play yeah, on. Yeah, no, totally agree. All right, so going back into the agenda, Essendon were playing with plenty of flair as they opted it to take the ball straight down the centre. And they moved it so quickly that Essendon actually had two players out on the boundary, about 40 metres out. They could have raffled it, but it was actually Peter Wright who ended up marking. And uh, yeah, he's a beautiful set shot kick, and he looked very assured and went back and slotted that, even though he was pretty close to the boundary. He really is a good set shot, isn't he? Like he just, He's just got that fluid run up and just kicks through the ball and gets a nice spin on it. I mean, it's, it's strange. You'd think... For taller guys, I always feel like it would be tougher to perfect a good um, set shot routine, but he's looked very natural for a big man. Absolutely. And when Draper managed to mark a rainmaker coming in from the Dons, it was three in a row for them, and they were now just two points down. This time it was Stringer's turn to come straight out of the stoppage, and he was able to lace out right who put through a set shot from 25. So sensing a bit of a theme here, these center bounce goals for Essendon and stoppage goals. Yeah. The real theme of this game. It was. And yeah, the the moment they put Stringer in there, they, they were dominating him. They were dominating him. It was almost like big time player, Stringer, get in there, do your work. And he did. Yeah, the dogs just weren't putting anywhere near enough pressure on. I don't know. I guess they were a bit down, but geez, Essendon a sort of maximum damage from stoppage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a long set shot from Johannesson from about 50 cut the Don's lead to three points at half time. But it was actually a three goal a six goal to three second quarter where the Dons had come roaring back into the game. So they were sitting at a very accurate 7-2 at halftime. Just shows how good a looks they were getting at yeah. goal from some of these stoppages. Yeah, straight kicking. It's very rare that you see, I don't know, maybe it's not as rare as I'm thinking watching a lot of Melbourne games, but like you don't often see a player come out of stoppage and actually hit a target directly in 50. But I reckon Essendon must have done it five or six times in this game maybe it was a yeah it was about that like directly out of center clearance it was amazing yeah no you're right it doesn't happen often um mirror seems to do it at will though <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, okay second half so after some desperate defense on the goal line 
it was actually Easton Wood taking an intercept mark at about 52. And he saw Libba making space inside 50, who was all by himself about 40 metres out and having no uh, pressure around him, easily strolled in for the goal to get one back for the Bulldogs. At the other end, though, it was Devin Smith who got one of the softest free kicks I've ever seen for a high tackle. I think he might have got, like, a finger on one of his shoulders. Like, like seriously, the first time they paid it, I actually had no clue that, like, it was going to be paid for a high free. Did you see this one? Oh, it was crazy. I, d- I did. Uh, I actually didn't think it was high. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually can't remember what I thought it was. I thought maybe an... Maybe it was an arm chop. Uh, I, yeah. Maybe like you didn't get like the best view. I think the other I, view would have been better. Yeah. But even if he did get him high, it must have been like the tiniest amount of high contact. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I might have to watch that again. I definitely didn't think it was high. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what they paid it for. Mm. Yeah, I heard it in the in the from the umpire there. But uh, yeah. Is it the worst Strange decision one. of the year then? Oh, it's the worst one I've seen, but like, there's a lot of competitions. So. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> but like, when it when something's just completely not there, I guess that's probably the worst of the worst. Like interpretation, you can kind of forgive that. Definitely, this was not interpretation. It's just, yeah, it was very very soft. Yeah. Yep. So that gave them another goal and the lead, in fact. And uh, it was actually up to Bontempelli to uh, get things going as he was, uh, it was actually, yeah, him kicking out uh, to a player, but it got stopped actually because it was called as non-15, non-15 made a kick there. So I think that was something they were really hot on over the weekend. They were definitely hot on it, yep, yep, yeah, absolutely. And that gave the Dons a stoppage and another hit to advantage from Draper saw the ball get out the back to Guelphie who goaled from the goal line. And a short time later, they got another goal out the back as they went all the way from centre-half back to the goal line without a dogs player touching the ball. So pressure just really not at the level for the dogs. And, geez, the number of hit-outs to advantage Draper got, what sort of ruck is he going to be? He's still very young, so yeah, scary. No, he's still a bit raw, but, wow. That, yeah, that he's, he's very, very strong, very physical. I think he's... um. Uh, he's a, he's over two hundred centimeters, isn't he? And he's over yeah, he's over a yeah. hundred kegs as well. So, yeah, oh, well, I think he's uh, yeah, is this his third year in the system? Maybe I, fourth year? I think so. He's pretty agile as well for yeah, someone that tall. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I think there's sky's the limit for him. He's just looking more and more like the bombers' day, really. And this was encapsulated by a parish snap. So snapping on the right foot after receiving from a boundary throw-in knockdown, he was kind of on the wrong side for the right foot snap, so close to the right-hand side on the boundary, but somehow managed to bend it back and really curl it into the goal face. So normally with a right foot snap, you'd be snapping from the other side, but yeah, I don't quite know how he managed to get that angle. I guess there was almost no margin for error with that kick, but... It was an amazing goal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was the goal of the game for me. For absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, fantastic game. Had so it everything. Was the dogs with it was the dogs with all the all opportunities late in this third quarter, 
They kicked four behinds, though, and the last was probably the worst of them, with Bruce la- uh, running into what looked like an open goal, but only managed to slam the ball into the post as he tried to snap on his non-preferred foot. And all that added up to an 11-point three-quarter time lead to the Bombers. Hmm. Yeah, it wasn't looking like their day, was it? They just looked second to each, second to all every ball, and uh, yeah, pressure wasn't as good as this. Essendon had really brought their pressure, and the Dogs just weren't quite matching it. They were still getting plenty of the ball, though. I think they won the inside fifty yeah. count by about twenty. <laughs> they but did. They did. Um, it just, just, did, I guess. It, Interesting with the Bulldogs, like they don't get that many inside fifty marks for whatever reason. Yeah. Even when both Bruce and Norton are there, like they really do rely on scrapping at ground level. So when the pressure's down a little bit, I guess that really hurts them. But they they do get a lot of inside fifties, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So to start the last quarter, it was yet another stoppage goal, again to Peter Wright, who kicked his fifth, and at this point. The Dons had a 17-point lead, and it was looking a little bit worrying for the Bulldogs. Yep. Going back the other way, a complete brain fade from Tip and Woody after knocking the ball out of Williams' hand at about 55 metres out, gifted the Dogs a goal from the square. I don't know what he was thinking there. Uh, he's he's out of sorts at the moment, uh, Tipper. Uh, yeah, he, uh, it was another... another bit of a well it was a dog of a game really I, mean, I think he had the five touches he did kick one but yeah he's struggling at the moment the Bulldogs were right back in it when they managed to string a piece of play together on the wing with some beautiful kicks first it was Bailey Smith receiving and sprinting down the wing before waiting a kick perfectly for Scott 55 out and he repeated the dose for English finding him on the lead uh, he couldn't help but mark it. The kick was that good. And in a flash, Essendon's lead was cut to under a goal. But again, the problem with scoring a goal is it, it goes, goes back, back to, to the centre. <laughs> <laughs> and the dogs had the answer. And it was another centre bounce goal. Draper to Stringer to Waterman, who nailed the drop putt set shot from the boundary. Yeah, he's a good set shot. So they- they scored, I think, 49 points from stoppage in this game. That's, that's like, incredible. That's a crazy number. That is incredible. <laughs> I like can't most, think, yeah. most teams are struggling to score two or three goals yeah. from stoppage. That's pop, that's, I reckon that's the best I've heard this year. Yeah. It was an amazing performance. So it was actually a short time later, Peter Wright was actually receiving the ball pretty close to the left-hand side boundary about 53 metres out, and yeah, it was a really important kick. I think they were just under two goals up at this point, so to get the lead back out to a really good distance. And again, his laconic uh, approach, and then he let the ball fly, and it must have pierced the middle. Like It kind of just swung right into the face of the goal. It was a beautiful kick. And a short time later, another centre bounce led to him marking again 53 out, this time a bit simpler, more or less straight in front, and he nailed that one as well for a career-high seven goals. And with it, a 24-point lead, and the game was as good as over. Yeah, wow, what a performance. Yeah, take a bow. Two meter Peter. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess he had a whole lot of injury issues and confidence issues at Gold Coast, and 
most people kind of thought that, you know, Essendon's just getting him as kind of a top-up player, but maybe he'll prove to be better than that. Like, he's not going to do this, obviously, every week, but, you know, these guys who can take a big mark and can kick a long mm. goal, there's not that many of them no. around, really. No. Yeah, I think he could be very handy for them. Um, sort of maybe much the way um, McKernan was handy for them, or he might even go past McKernan. So, yeah, it's... They didn't give up that much to get him, I don't think. So No, almost nothing, yeah, like a fourth-round pick or something. Yeah. So no, it's, it's already paid off. Low risk, high reward. <laughs> so in the dying moments, it was actually Bontempelli who seemed to drop the ball 40 metres out. But for some reason, he got the free kick, I guess, for holding. I hate these ones yeah. where the player just sort of drops it and then the umpire wants to say he's being held. So, yes, not... Fan of those. So it was actually two quick goals for the Dogs to bring it back to 13 points to put a little bit of respectability, but really the game was over. So yeah. fantastic win to the dog, uh, the Dons here. Yep, fantastic performance. Keeps them in the hunt. And, uh, yeah, played some beautiful football at times. As we said, scores from stoppages, really good entries. They When they're up and running, they... One of the better teams to watch, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it was a very entertaining game. One thing I found interesting was that if you look at the expected scoring for this game, apparently it had the Dogs winning by 30 points. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So that is crazy. They've won by, what, two goals, and they're meant to have lost by five. That's a seven-goal swing in expected scoring. So obviously the Bulldogs missed quite a lot of set shots, but and Essendon were getting such good looks at goal, and then you got... Peter Wright draining them from outside 50. I guess it's not that hard to see why the expected scoring was, you know, the dog's way. But, geez, that's a big margin. Huge, huge. And, um, yeah, is that their best win of the year? I think so, definitely. And it keeps them in the hunt. Now they've got two winnable games. And if they win both of those, they're every chance to make the eight. And, uh, yeah, it'd be great to see them in the eight, I think. And, yeah. be an interesting game whoever they played in that first elimination final if they can get there yep i agree we'll definitely make it exciting and yeah can they break that famous drought of uh years <laughs> without a finals win it's going back to 2005 right or is it 2004 uh, four. and that was against four. our beloved yep. melbourne <laughs> yeah i remember them knocking us out i'm pretty sure we finished fifth that year yep we did yeah, Indeed. not a good way to go out. No, no. Uh, okay, a uh, couple of true, quick true or falses to finish. I know we've already gone long, but <sighs> yeah, there's a lot to talk about, obviously. True or false, Essendon are the best team at scoring from stoppage in the AFL. Obviously, there's a bit of recency bias here, but <laughs> true or false? <laughs> uh, look, I like it. I like it, but I will go false. I think... Um, well, I think Melbourne's shown they've been very good at scoring from stoppages this year, but also uh, t- teams like Geelong and maybe Brisbane come to mind as well. Uh, I'd probably go with one of those three, I reckon. Maybe, right, maybe so a bit of competition there. Yeah. But they're very I good. I guess just Essendon's flash just really stands out. They, That's they can true. get it away so clean, but uh, yeah. They may be the most cutting there. edge with what they do with them, yeah. Like, there's no way they win this game without so many of those stoppage goals. Obviously, like, they got to score somehow, but so many of their goals were coming from stoppage. It was crazy. Yep. Yep. Next one. The Bruce ACL injury is a terminal blow for the Bulldogs. True or false? Oh, this is a heartbreaking true or false. Um, Last 10 seconds of the game, wasn't it? 
Yeah, hard, absolutely hard tragic. Um, look, I'm gonna say false. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's terminal. I think that definitely leaves a massive hole, and they've got some big big questions to answer. Uh, but I think that that there is a way they can possibly work it around. Um, yeah, I mean, so what have they got now? Uh, they've got so they've got English who struggled a little bit, didn't he? Um, Norton has been an okay form. It's, I don't know, it's a tough one. I don't think it's terminal. I still think there's enough there to work with. But Stefan Martin's out for the season, isn't he? So I think that he might be coming back, but I'm not sure when. But yeah, he's been out for a long time. Yeah. Look, I'll say false. It's not terminal, but massive blow. Massive blow. Yeah, I'll go false as well. I still think they can conjure something, yeah. but to me, it makes it at least 10% harder, probably 15 or 20% harder. So yeah, it's been great. If I was a Bulldog supporter, I would be feeling very down about this. That is for sure. He's been a really good foil up forward, and yeah, hopefully it's a speedy recovery. Next one. The Dogs deserved to win this game. True or false? Oh, gee. Uh, well, if yeah, if you look at the statistics, they were they weren't bad. Um, but no, I, I think Essendon deserved to win the game. I think they they looked like they wanted it more at times, and most of the times, and um, they were more clinical with it. They, they were just much more efficient. Uh, you know, Daniel, um, sorry, not Daniel, Zach Merritt. Uh, he was thirty possessions and operated at about. Yeah, I think his 80, 87% efficiency is just, yeah, hitting targets left, right, and centre. Um, you know, two-metre Peter, performance of his life. Oh, look, I, I think Essendon definitely deserved it. Yeah, it's an interesting game. Like, how repeatable is something like this? Obviously, mm. you're not going to score 49 points from stoppage no. every time. But, I don't know, maybe teams are going to get better at scoring from stoppage. I'm not saying they're all going to get this good, but... You need to find a way to score, and like, there's been so many goals this year. You know, once it's one team has finally scored, you just get the goal straight back the other direction. So mm-hmm. maybe teams are getting a little bit better at scoring, particularly from center clearance. Yeah, and maybe they'll look at different ways to set up for uh, stoppages inside the forward fifty as well. Maybe that's something that will take off. Okay, last one. The Don style of football will stand up in finals. True or false? Ooh. I think it will. I think it's a proven brand of footy that definitely has been shown to win. But, look, the question for me definitely comes down to how, what, how can they restrict other teams from scoring? How good are they going to be without the ball? Uh, yeah. They're not... Big thing in finals. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're not quite settled, I think, just yet down back. Um, but once they are, they'll definitely be... I, I think there's, their style definitely stacks up. Yeah, I think the attacking style that they have will serve them well. But, yeah, they do leak score a little bit too easily. So that might be found out in finals. But, you know... On their day, they can really put teams to the sword. So it would definitely be interesting to see them in the finals and see what they can do. Yep, absolutely. Um, They've definitely got the outside class. It does seem to rely a bit on Parrish getting that inside ball a lot. Um, So maybe they do need just another guy to sort of help that out a bit. But 
outside class is probably amongst the best in the comp in terms of midfields. Absolutely. A lot to like for Essendon, particularly after a pretty tumultuous year last year. Yes. All right, we've reached the end of the episode. A long one for us, but hopefully you managed to stick it out to the end. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. A lot of fun as always. Yes, always a pleasure. And thanks to you guys for listening as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And, uh, yeah, getting to the business end of the season. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, if you're being locked down, as we are, uh, you know, keep enjoying the simple things in life. And I guess for us, that's footy. So that's it. Get out, get out there and, uh, you know, stay active and watch the footy. That's kind of all we've got at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, we'll leave it there. Goodbye, guys.